Good evening. It's good to be with you this evening. And um, I was preaching in Lapel, Indiana this morning, Indianapolis today, and then we'll be back in the State House tomorrow. And I just appreciate you all and your prayers for us. Um, they've been very evident um, every year, and uh, certainly this year as well. As we began our 20th year in ministry here, this was our uh, the, the State House prayer service back in, Janu- in early January, was our 20th annual State House prayer service. It's hard for me to imagine that we've been there for 20 years, but the connections to Second RP and to uh, uh, the many people that are here have been deep and abiding, and I appreciate that so much. I appreciate Debbie Magnuson still being a, a vital part of the Governor's Prayer Breakfast and uh, part of our team. And then also uh, tonight we have um, our women's chaplain, Pam Russell, and our executive um, assistant, Jessica Ray. And so it's, it's good to be with you all again this evening. I wanted to give you a few uh, items of update for just a few minutes before we get to the text. And um, a couple of those are, one obviously was the the prayer, prayer service that we just had, and um, I was, it, was, it was amazing to me to see the hundreds of Hoosiers showing up in the State House to pray with and for our leadership. And it's been several years now that we have asked the heads of each branch of government, of all three branches of government, to be praying at that service. They don't just attend, but they actually pray from the podium. And so for the executive branch, the governor prays for the executive branch and for the Uh, House of Representatives and the Senate. There's the Speaker of the House and the President Pro Tem of the Senate. And then the Chief Justice prays for the Supreme Court and for all the judiciary. And one of the things that she mentions in her prayer, I hope she keeps mentioning it every time, she has a little line in there uh, that she just says that as we recognize, it's kind of her quote, we recognize that you, God, are the Supreme Judge, and one day we will all stand before your bench and give an account. And that's a sobering thought coming from a chief justice. She knows what it means to stand before the bench. And as she says that, this year I was just once again reminded of the opportunity that I will have on that day when I stand before the Lord, and it takes me right to the gospel, and that is that I will not stand on my own, but I have an advocate. I have a mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who will be able to stand for me. And of that I am eternally grateful, that I don't have to fear in that day. Um, It's a sobering thought, certainly, to give an account. But for my sins, Jesus stands, and they are paid for. And so that's what I was thinking when she was praying that this year. What a wonderful advocate. It's been said that a good lawyer knows the law. A great lawyer knows the judge. And we have an advocate that knows both quite well. And so praise God for that. Uh, so we had that earlier this year, and, and um, before that, uh, we've had several things that have happened even in this past year. And uh, one of the things that happened, we went to Geneva, Switzerland, and we are setting up and, and continuing to do conferences around the world to see and set up ministries that do similar work that we do here in the Indiana State House around the world. And so in Geneva, there were 37 countries gathered to discover how they can best minister to their political leaders. And there are new frontiers of ministry that are opening up, and certainly one of them is in Africa. And so this year our plan will be to go to Africa uh, in August and be able to help, and it will be a regional conference of the continent of Africa, to go there and to continue to teach. And there's a, a man by the name of Alan who is in Zambia, and he has just really taken on the ministry 
of prayer for his leaders. And he posted a few months ago, he said, Matt Barnes and Pam Russell do this every day. And you can find this on our website or our social media where we pray for three leaders every day from the state of Indiana. Now, what we also do is we do that nationwide. So there are three leaders we pray for every single day in every single state in the nation. And so we do that, and it's all it's set up through the website. Well, Alan has decided to continue that idea in Zambia. And it is amazing, as he posts a leader to pray for every day, they still have that, um, that British colonial uh, influence. And so here are, there, you see some of his pictures, there are African judges with white wigs. I mean, it's like they really have taken on and continue uh, Pam's country's tradition of the white wigs. I probably should adopt it as well. But it, it's just really neat to see a man say, let's pray for our leaders, and he's taking off. So I'm looking forward to being in Rwanda and Zambia, Lord willing, in August. Uh, one of the other things I want you to know is that even in the State House, the, the ministry is growing. And so this year we have an intern with us. And, um, you know, years ago you could get an intern that would uh, work for nothing. That's not allowed anymore. Uh, it's against the law. So you have to pay them. So we had been praying for a particular amount to bring on an intern, and that was given. And we have a wonderful intern this year. His name is Alicia Hernandez. And um, he is originally from El Salvador, so he's fully bilingual. He's a captain in the Army. And um, he is just, he is really learning a lot. It's great to have him on board. And one of, one of the things that we want him to do is interact with interns that are in the building. And this past Monday, we had an 8 a.m. every Monday morning. We have a prayer time in the State House. And an intern walked in that we didn't know, and he just popped in. I guess he just saw the sign, and he walked in, and we were going around praying. There's eight or ten of us or so that were praying, and, and it got to him, and I recognized he was nervous, and, and so I just said, hey, it, it's no problem. You can just listen. And he just said, he said, well, I, I, I don't know what to say. And uh, sometimes I think, it was certainly for me, growing up in a pastor's home and being in church all the time, is what prayer is just, it's just talking to God, but it's not, um, it's not normative. And this young man's like, I don't know how to do that. And I said, it's okay, just sit and listen. And so we finished prayer time that morning, and he said, I'm going to be back. And so I'm hoping tomorrow morning he'll, he'll be there and uh, not only learn how to pray, but learn about the Savior. And so that's our prayer for him. And so God just keeps deepening relationships there. Uh, towards the end of the year, there was a sad thing that occurred in the State House, and that was that a senator, a sitting senator, suddenly passed away of a heart attack. And he was a friend of mine, and he was a believer. And so they decided to do the funeral inside the State House, and I was the one to preside over the funeral. And what was interesting to me was that you may have heard in the news that uh, the Satanists were going to have a concert inside the State House. And it just so happened that that was going to be on a Thursday. And um, God, He's sovereign, right? He works all these things out. And so the Satanists came in, and we, we had a special time of prayer inside our chapel. We have a chapel room set aside in the building, first one in the nation in 1962. The room was set aside as a meditation room, chapel room. And so we had about 15 folks in there praying. We prayed for about an hour and a half uh, with prayer, uh, song, and, and um, praise. And uh, it did get, the sound was a little, I'll, I'll just be honest, it was a little eerie at times. Um, the sound, the cacophony that was coming from downstairs in the wide open area of the state, house, very loud. And, and um, so we just continued pray, to pray, and, and we, they finished, we finished. And, and the very next day, 
it was um, just striking to me from the very same square footage in the state house, the north atrium of the state house. That's where the funeral took place 24 hours later. And at that funeral, the gospel of Jesus Christ was clearly presented to hundreds of people. The Satanists maybe had 15 or 20 people. And here at this funeral, there were hundreds of people from the governor on down hearing a clear message. It was the, his, Senator Sandlin's pastor from southern Indiana in Hanover. And they heard, everyone there heard a clear presentation of the gospel. And I just, while I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, what a striking difference from this very spot yesterday, people calling on Satan to today, people lifting up the name of Jesus. God is greater than our enemy. He is the conqueror, and on that day we saw light overcome darkness, and it was powerful. What, a, what an amazing back-to-back, within 24 hours, God redeemed it, and I was thankful for that. And so we just praise God that His name continues to be lifted up in our state house. So Pam and I get the opportunity to sit in, on the floor of the House and the Senate, and this week there was, and sometimes they'll, they'll walk by and say various things. Sometimes they're funny remarks, sometimes it's a snide remark, but... Sometimes, so they just, they're letting off steam with us, and that's perfectly fine. And a senator came by right before session started the other day, and he just, uh, he stopped. He said, Matt, I had a dream that I died. I was like, okay. He said, I ended up in this field, and I'm looking around. It was beautiful. And he said, I just, I was overwhelmed, and I just raised my hands, and I said, it's true. It's true. I knew it was true. And then he walked off. That's all he wanted to say. Uh, but I just, it was wonderful. He, had a, he was able to share a moment with someone that, because we, we are representatives as well, right, in the state house. Uh, there are representatives there, but I'm reminded often that we are representatives as well. We're representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they can swing by and say something like that to us and keep going. But I was encouraged that this senator is looking forward to heaven. And, uh, and he, that he believes solidly that it is true. So praise the Lord for that. All right, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter number 1. Jonah chapter number 1. And my proposition this evening will be to compare and contrast two individuals in Scripture. One in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament, I'm going to contend that the Old Testament character is remedied or maybe even fulfilled in the New. And I hope you'll track with me as, as we walk through this. It's, um, it, it's just, an ex to me, it's exciting as I saw this unfold. That there's so much in the New Testament that is the Old, and sometimes I, I think we overlook some of them. And uh, this one was one that I had never seen before. And I'll tell you how I got there after I read the first part of our text. Jonah chapter number 1 and verse number 1. Now the word of the Lord came into Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of of the Lord. Just pause for just a moment. Generally, when God tells someone to do something in Scripture, the word Lord came to so-and-so, and then they got up and they did it. Uh, this has a very different action. But Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. 
and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, and so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, mentioned twice there in that verse. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth their wear, the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said to him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a backslid Baptist. No, that's not what it says. <clears throat> he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And we'll pause there for just a moment. As we're walking through this, I want you to notice three particular mentions of God. So I want you to see that first and foremost. One, one is mentioned in verse number 5. The mariners were afraid, and they cried every man unto his God. And that is a little g God. That is a false God. And they're crying to their various gods. And the next mention is in verse number 6. And you see there it says, Arise, sleeper, call upon thy God, if so be that God. And that's a different spelling. And so you're beginning to see a, a, a contrast in characters. There's a little g God, there's a big g God. And then as they ask Jonah who he is, and he confesses that I am in Hebrew, and he says, and I fear the Lord. So first thing I want to mention is, I, I don't think he really does. I, 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 would, I would think that in reading the scripture, I don't think Jonah really fears God. If he really feared God, he'd have went to Nineveh. Instead, he runs away uh, hundreds of miles, maybe 1,500 miles or so to the west, instead of going the closer direction to Nineveh. So I don't think he does fear God, but secondly, notice the word there for God is Lord, and it's all caps L-O-R-D, and that is a different word than Elohim. It's actually Yahweh, the Yahweh God, the personal name for God. And so you're seeing some different... So God is, is in the story, and then the latter part of the story, from 12 and onward, they throw him into the sea... But look at what it says in verse number 14. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. That's different. And when you see in Scripture there's a capital L and then smaller L-O-R-D, the O-R-D, that would be Adonai. And so just, to, just for your information. So here, this is Yahweh. And said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. Then verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. So it's fascinating that Jonah, kind of the anti-prophet or anti-missionary, reluctant missionary, there are people coming to know God in spite of Jonah. Jonah would rather die than tell the Ninevites about God. 
He is truly the reluctant missionary. God said go, he said no. It reminds me of a time many years ago, I was walking around Washington, D.C. It was kind of towards the early part of the ministry, so probably 18, 19 years ago. As I'm walking around Capitol Hill, there are obviously 500 and, and, uh, 535 offices of the House and the Senate. And I'm walking around, I find myself in front of one of the doors of the offices, and I looked up, I see the nameplate, and um, the Holy Spirit just kind of nudging me to go in, and I looked at the nameplate, it's not from Indiana, it's not really my concern, uh, I'd rather not. And so I told the Lord, no, I don't recommend this. And so the next day I arrived, I'm walking around the Capitol, and I'm doing my thing, and meeting different people, and I, I, and I look at, down on my phone, I look up, and somehow or other, I'm in front of the very same door I was the previous day. And the Lord, Holy Spirit, nudging me to go in, and, and of course, being the good, obedient missionary I was, I said, no. Yeah, I'm just, just being honest, not one of my finer moments. And um, so I just said no, and I walked away. Thankfully, there was no great fish or metro bus to swallow me up or hit me. And the next day, the Lord gave me a third opportunity. It was not in my game plan to be walking near that door, but I find myself in front of the very same door. And it was the Speaker of the House. And so it's, it's also more intimidating. It's not, not from Indiana. It's the Speaker of the House. There's no, what am I going to say? And I felt like the Lord wanted me to do what I do in, the, in our state house. Just go tell them you're praying for them. So I opened the door and I said, hi, I'm Chaplain Matt Barnes. Just wanted to stop by and say that I'm praying for you and I'm praying for the speaker. And I handed them my card and they were speechless, as in they said nothing. And I said, well, you have a nice day. And I opened the door and, and right as it was shutting, the person inside said, you too. And as I walked out, I wondered if I was the first person that day that had stopped by without any agenda or ulterior motive, simply stopping by to say, I'm praying for you. I don't want anything from you. I'm just praying for you, and I'm praying for your boss. Then I wondered if I was the first person that week that had done that. And then I actually wondered if I was the first person ever to have stopped by that particular congressional member's door to simply say, I'm praying for you. And so if it was up to me, I wouldn't have done it, but God encouraged me and, and pushed me to do it. But sometimes it takes multiple times. I'm not always obedient. And so Jonah is not obedient. I don't want to go there. I don't like them. I don't want them to know. Because he, he tells the Lord later, I knew what you would do. You would save them. Jonah does not like the Ninevites, right? So I want to fast forward into the New Testament. And into Acts chapter number 10. Acts chapter number 10. So again, my proposition would be that Jonah is fulfilled in this particular character in the New Testament. Acts chapter number 10. We'll read a little bit here. Starting in verse number 1. And there was a certain man of Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. So he's a Roman centurion. He's a leader. A devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people, and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him, and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid, and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. 
He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. And I want to pause for a moment. This idea, Joppa, are you connecting Joppa? It's the same town mentioned in Jonah. So the reason I was making this connection, we, we take legislators to Israel with us. We've done that, I think, five times now. And we're attempting to connect our Indiana legislators with members of the Knesset, the parliament in Israel, and for gospel-centered relationships. That's the point. And so we go there. And um, so one of those trips, we were, uh, we were standing at the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, right in Joppa. And there it's Jaffa, Yaffa, Yafo. That's kind of the different variations on the city. We're standing there, and someone pointed out and said, right there is, is the house where Simon the Tanner was and where Peter uh, in Acts 10, was staying. And then those connections began to come. Jonah and Peter, that's interesting. So that's just the first kind of connection you'll see between Jonah and Peter. Verse number 9. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh to the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, which would be about noon. And he became very hungry, and he would have eaten, but while they made ready... He fell into a trance, or maybe a deep sleep, a trance. He's, he's unconscious in a way, similar to Jonah as he's in the boat. Verse number 11, And saw heaven opened in a certain vessel. A vessel, this would be like a boat, descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners. This would be, if you dig down into this word, this great sheet would be a sail it's, and this makes sense, right? He's right there on the Mediterranean Sea, and so then he has this vision of this boat with the sail, these four, this four corners square sail coming down, and it's knitted the four corners and let down to the earth. Verse number 12, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Here is another man being told by God to do something, and he said no. God was gracious. Now look at the next verse, verse 15. And the voice came unto him again the second time. What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was... Not he must have said no again. This was done thrice or three times, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry in Simon's, for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which is surnamed Peter, were lodged there. And what is, what is happening? We know the rest of this story. God is encouraging Peter to go to the Gentiles, but not just any Gentiles. Remember who, is, who has conquered Israel and who is governing them with a tight fist, and that would be the Romans. And he is about to be asked to go and talk to a Roman leader and tell him about Jesus. And this vision is what causes him to eventually go and do that. Now, the results of both of these men are somewhat similar. 
although Jonah does it reluctantly and disobediently, I mean, he had to be swallowed up by a great fish and then spit out, and he finally goes and does it reluctantly. It's kind of like that. Uh, you've heard the story of the little girl in the airplane who was standing up, and her mother said, you need to sit down. I don't want to sit down, but you need to sit down. And ultimately, the girl sits down, and she looks at her mother and says, I'm sitting down, but I'm standing up on the inside. And so that's the response here. Jonah goes, but he has no desire to go. He's still standing up on the inside. And he goes, and his message is not quite redemptive at all. He simply says, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's it. That's the message. And the people of Nineveh think, well, maybe we've got to do something. And so ultimately it comes to the king, and the king is the one. As the leader of Nineveh, the king of Nineveh, and he says, we are all going to fast. All of us as people are animals too for three days, no food or water, and we're going to call out the mercy, mercy from God. And the city is delivered, much to Jonah's chagrin. He doesn't want them to be delivered, but God delivers them in spite of Jonah. But maybe, as we see in the New Testament here, maybe Peter could be the remedy to Jonah. And we discover that the results are somewhat similar. He goes to the centurion, which I don't, Peter, he wouldn't have wanted to do that. And yet he goes and he shares Jesus. And what's interesting is he gets some great peer pressure when he comes back. You hung out with him? I can't believe you went and talked to those people. And Peter says, God did a work. Did a work in my heart, did a work in their heart. God did an amazing work. It's all the Lord. And so then comes in the premise here, as we are interceding for others, and this is my contention in the ministry, certainly, and God has worked in my heart. There's a group of people that many of us do not like. In fact, we like to make great jokes about them. We have great fun at their expense. That would be politicians, at least from my perspective. That's uh, I'm called to go and pray for them. And one thing that has happened in my life is that I, has, I have come to love them. Even though I may dislike what they do and disagree with their politics, I have come to love them. Why is that? It's because as I pray for them, it's imp- it's, I've said this for probably 20 years because God's worked on my heart, it's impossible to hate someone you're earnestly praying for. You will end up loving them. And in this case, Peter, he's told, you go, and God does an amazing work on the other end, and God redeems this man and his house. So the leader gets saved, and those that follow him get saved, and it's similar to Jonah and the king getting saved, or accepting God, it's not simple, you know, it's Old Testament, but he recognizes the one true God, and so does the city. The question then is this, what people, group, or person could it be that God is impressing upon your heart to begin to pray for? Who is it that you don't like? Who is it that irritates you? And hopefully they're not sitting next to you. I'm just kidding. Who is it? And maybe if it is, you begin to pray for them. Obviously, there's tension in families. There's tension in churches. 
there are t- there's tension in government. But as has been said by our leaders who attend our Bible studies on Tuesday mornings in the State House, there's one senator who, uh, she's a Democrat senator, and she says, you know, it's, as I'm there and I'm sitting with my Republican colleagues in Bible study, praying together and reading the Word of God together, she said, I just find it impossible then to go on the Senate floor and go blast my Republican colleagues because I was just with them in Bible study this morning. And so it mutes the tension. But I would contend that these two stories, the point is that we sometimes are called to share Jesus with people with whom we do not care for. Hopefully it's not as bad as Jonah with the Ninevites, but certainly we see it with Peter. And one of the reasons I say that I think that this is a connection, and, and this is not the only one. You've seen several here through the story. But Jesus, once he's risen from the dead, he's on the seaside cooking a fish breakfast for the disciples. They see him, they come to him, and you remember the conversation that's had there, where Jesus looks at Peter and says, Do you love me? Feed my sheep. He does that how many times? Three times. So you have this three days in the belly of the whale. Peter is told three times to do this. Well, then Jesus asks him, do you love me? But what does he actually say? It's, it's in John 21, 15. He says this, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And so I, I do think that Peter's dad's name was actually Jonah. But what about the parallels? And it drives us to wonder, is this the parallel, and is Peter the remedy for Jonah? It looks like he certainly could be, but regardless, the message is still the same. God is calling you. I, I, we were studying John this week in our Statehouse Bible study on Friday, and I was struck by the fact that it, over the thousands of years since Christ, there have, there have been many people carry the message from generation to generation at great cost and great peril to them. In order for the gospel to be preached to you and to me, why then should we think it would be any easier for us to share the gospel to those who have never heard? And believe me, in Indianapolis, there are people who've never heard the gospel. And that is what we are called to do, to share Jesus with those we come in contact with. And it may be a co-worker. It may be a family member. It may be someone close to us. It may be someone we don't care for. But the Word of God, I think, dramatically calls us to go where we don't want to go so that His message and the gospel can continue for generations upon generations. Let's pray and close. Father... Thank you for your word this evening. Thank you, Lord, that you're gracious to us and you give us opportunity to come alongside you. You're the one who does the work, but wow, what a great privilege that you call us to be the messengers. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be more like Peter and less like Jonah. May we take the opportunity and instantly obey instead of delay. And Lord, may you get the glory as you call people to yourself. For you are God and we are not. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.